This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. I love, I love that intro. It's so pertinent. Uh, we are in an invisible war, um, as uh, Dr. Lee Merritt said um, on my podcast a few weeks ago. And Reiner Fulmich, would you agree that we are in a, a war? I think yes. Um, there's uh, no doubt about that, in fact. It's just, in, it, you're right, it's an invisible war, but we can all see it and feel it. I just want to ask you quickly, uh, before we before we get into our icebreaker, um, is it Phil Mitch or is it Phil Mich? Because here in South Africa, we've got a little bit of German and Dutch um, origin, so we we like the ich. Yeah, well, it's actually it's the softer uh, ich. It's ich. Für mich. But since I spent so much time in Japan and in the United States, nobody was able to pronounce it that way. So it's Fulmich. Yeah, and the Americans also struggle with the ich, but so so they just go yeah. with the itch. Okay, so we'll yeah. for for the sake of our audience, we'll say Rhino Fulmich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's simpler. <laughs> okay, it so serves the, its purpose. I hope you don't mind. I have a scotch because at this time of history, I think a scotch <laughs> is is very needed. <laughs> That's a really good idea. I'm going to do the same. You know, some of the viewers of our uh, sessions have sent me a bottle. I once said, I definitely need a glass of whiskey. Two days later, I got a bottle of scotch from one of our viewers. <laughs> All right. So to my South African audience, I need a bottle of scotch or Jack Daniels. I'll go with the bourbon any day. <laughs> um, so it's. It's been a few months, Reiner, since you were on my podcast. Um, you uh, are without a doubt one of the most demanded uh, guests to come back. Uh, you've got something of a cult following here in South Africa. Um, and I think you've got a cult following around the world because um, you're, fighting, you're fighting a battle, Reiner, that is very big. It's, it's not just myself. It's, yes. Um, uh, we're fighting on two fronts. One is the strictly the legal level, um, which is what I, but others, dozens of other attorneys worldwide uh, are doing. Uh, we're suing because we want to know, we want m as many courts of law as possible to tell us precisely why the PCR test uh, doesn't do what uh, Dr. Drusten, or he, he isn't even a doctor, he's a fake. Uh, professor Drossen, he's not even a real professor. Uh, what he told the world through the WHO, it's a false statement of fact. So we're trying to get as many court decisions as possible. We're lucky because the day before yesterday, we got another one from mm. a Vienna court in Austria. And uh, But the ultimate goal is, of course, to sue the, those who are responsible uh, for damages. And that is only possible. Yeah. Um, in those Anglo-American countries. And the other, the other job I have is, of course, the one with the Berlin Corona Investigative Committee, which turned out to be a platform which, in the end, is evidently collecting evidence for these lawsuits, <laughs> inadvertently. So, okay, right, so let's, let's quickly just go back a little bit, uh, Ryan, if you don't mind. Uh, for those sure. who, 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 A, aren't aware of who you are, and B, our last conversation. So let's just go back. What is it that you're doing? Um, I, basically, I have two jobs. My real job, my daytime job, so to speak, is uh, I'm a lawyer, and I've been a trial lawyer for 26 years now. We, my, my firm and I, with some of the people working for me for 20 years now, um, we have been representing uh, consumers and small and medium-sized businesses against fraudulent corporations, yeah. uh, both here in Germany and as I'm also admitted to the bar in California. I've done a little bit of work. I don't have a lot of um, courtroom experience, but I've done a little bit of work in the United States as well. And, um, uh, and, uh, and because of this, because of this experience, uh, in particular with Deutsche Bank, which is one of the most 
criminal organizations in this world. Um, I wasn't completely surprised at what was unfolding before our eyes uh, in the context of Corona, except this time it's not just one fraudulent corporation, but it's dozens and dozens uh, of fraudulent corporations, plus the politicians whom they managed to get under their control. Um, so this is, this is my other job, the um, Corona Investigative Committee in Berlin, which my friend and colleague Viviane Fischer and two other attorneys founded on uh, July 10th of last year. Now, I mean, this <laughs> this battle against the WHO and uh, the derivatives, I mean, this isn't even about money anymore. Even if it were, it wouldn't matter because this is about something so much more important. I mean, I saw an article the other day that said this is going to be as big or if not slightly smaller than the Nuremberg trial. I mean, this is very, very big, Reiner. Yes, um, there cannot be any doubt whatsoever, at least not for me, after having interviewed so many experts from all different fields of science, um, doctors, uh, virologists, epidemiologists, economists, lawyers, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists. Just today we uh, interviewed, I think, four highly renowned psychiatrists uh, a psychologist, I'm sorry. There cannot be any doubt whatsoever that what has been happening here for a year now is, uh, and I, when I first said this, uh, some people kind of rolled their eyes and said, hey, nobody's going to ever agree with you. But this is the worst, these are the worst crimes against humanity ever, ever committed. This is worse than what happened in World War II and of course in World War I. Uh, what's even worse is that so many people uh, are participating in this, um, the same type of people who participated some 80 years ago in what was then uh, going to be World War II. I'm not just saying this, I'm quoting this from uh, Vera Sharaf, who is a Holocaust sur survivor. We interviewed her a couple of weeks ago and she said, this is so incredible, I would never, she was a child then, she was in Auschwitz, um, and she said, this is so incredible, I would never have believed that I'm once again going to have the very, to fight the very same people whom I fought uh, 80 years ago or 75 years ago. And who are those people? Those are, um, well, back then it was the Nazis, of course, um, but mainly the the ones who were instrumental in helping the Nazis with their uh, terrible goals were the medical doctors. Uh, just like today, not all of them of course, uh, but I'd say 80 or 90 percent of the doctors, not just here in Germany but in most other countries yeah. as well. I'm not talking about every country because you, you, there's a distinct difference between those countries that are under the influence of the West where this is really, um, this whole game plan is really being rolled out. So much pressure is being applied on the governments, or maybe they don't even have to apply any pressure on the governments anymore. But it's different in India and Africa and other countries, where in many instances they have the very same rules, like mask mandates, but people don't care. Um, so it is not, the, the, the plan doesn't quite seem to be working the way that they figured it would be working. You can see it from all these mistakes that are happening now. But, I mean, Reiner, come on. We, we, we all know that it's about a virus. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, right. Uh, no, uh, we all know now. I mean, we should know. Um, those 10 or 20 percent of us who still have a brain to use and to think with, uh, this has never been about the virus. This has never been about health. This has always been about uh, taking everything away from us so that we would be dependent on them, um, plus uh, population reduction, plus gaining complete control over those who are left. That is, I, I wouldn't have said this a year ago. A year ago, if mm. you had asked me, or if somebody had told me this, I would have said, hey, um, you definitely need to see a doctor. 
But no, this is what all the evidence, all of the people who we interviewed on the Corona Committee, what this points to, There's this conclusion is inevitable. Jennifer in the comments says, I work for the NHS. I'm ashamed of my fellow staff. They don't ask questions. That's, that's very, very smart. You know what? One of the um, uh, psychologists who we talked to, he's one of the most impressive people uh, whom I've ever talked to. His name is, he's now a professor emeritus. Lind is his name. And he says, in order for a democracy to work, you need people with moral competence. Moral competence, in turn, requires two things. One, the ability to ask questions as opposed to simply blindly following orders. And two, the mm. ability to discuss different opinions rather than uh, killing the person who has, a, who has a different opinion than yourself. Those are the two most important elements for a functioning democracy, and it's called moral competence. And he says probably only 20% of the people on this planet have this kind of moral competence. I don't quite agree with that because I think that, that this is probably true for the so-called civilized countries, but in many of the not-so-civilized countries, I think the percentage of people with a moral competence is much higher. Let's get slightly more technical, but not too technical because we don't want to scare away uh, people like me who, who are not legally minded um, but, are, but are on your side. Okay, so what, what is this, this, this case about? I know that it's a tort case, which is essential, a civil, a civil case. And it's going to be, I suspect, from what I understand, the largest in the world um, actually ever. Or, or second largest, something to that effect. Well, you know, the thing is that this, when I when we talk about a a class action lawsuit, it's not just one. Uh, mm. Thus far, one has been filed in Canada. Another one is on its way to be filed, and we're planning to file a couple of more. We we means the colleagues, my Anglo American colleagues, because I'm just one of the people who is trying to put together the evidence by filing many other lawsuits, many mm. other individual lawsuits, for example, in Germany, in order, to, uh, in order to get the courts to say, Drosten is lying to you, the Drosten PCR test and all the others which yeah. used his test as a blueprint. Let's stop there. Yeah, that. sorry. Before you yeah. go on, let's just quickly deal with that because a lot of people don't know what the Drosten uh, paper is. Now, I know what it is. But a lot of people don't. Um, it's it's that paper that that the that the WHO approved within forty eight hours at the beginning of twenty twenty recommending PCR globally. Am I right? That's pretty much correct. What happened in uh, at the beginning of twenty twenty? Actually, he claims that he did he did his work on New Year's Eve. Uh, maybe it was on December the thirty first. I don't know. What happened is while everyone, including Drosten, Drosten is a uh, professor, Dr. Drosten of Charité University, which is one of the most important university hospitals uh, in, in Germany, in Berlin. Um, at the beginning of January, uh, all the way up through the middle to the middle of March, he and others were telling the general population that there's nothing to worry about. This is going to be like the flu. Uh, most people won't even have any symptoms. Don't worry. However, at the very same time he was saying this, he was working hard on this PCR test, on his PCR test version. Because the original PCR test was, of course, invented by a really smart person, as opposed to Drosden, uh, a guy by the name of Kerry Mullis, uh, an American who won a, a Nobel Prize for this. And uh, he kept telling the world that his PCR test is great because it does an incredible mm. trick. It makes things visible that are not visible to the human eye by yeah. amplifying it. You know, you take this stuff on the swab, which you can't see, put it into a machine, and then it's amplified. Two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, everybody seems to agree right now. Uh, so that's a bit of progress that at uh, an amplification, at a cutoff threshold of uh, 24, 
Mm -hmm. uh, this is the that's the limit. Yeah. Now, after this, it doesn't make any sense at all. His test was set at 45, and Dr. Mike Eden, whom we interviewed, a former vice president of uh, Pfizer, he said anything if you if you go to 35 cycles, you end up with at least 97 percent false positives. We're talking about 45. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't even take into account that the test cannot tell you anything about infections, no mm -hmm. matter what cutoff rate you use, because of this. Um, it cannot distinguish between live and dead matter. I mean, I could put this in more scientific terms if I were a scientist, uh, but I'm, I'm using the legal language that I'm using in my briefs. It cannot distinguish live and dead matter, meaning whatever it tests positive to may very well be uh, just a trace of a fragment of a virus could be uh, your body's um, successful, your, your, your body's um, uh, um, uh, immune system successful fight against a common cold or the, uh, or the common, the seasonal flu. Um, but it cannot tell you whether whatever it has found has entered the cells and is replicating there because that is the only way for you to become contagious. Yeah. Another important piece of information is, uh, so it's totally incapable of telling you anything about um, infections. Another important piece of inf information is, uh, oh, this test of course was recommended by his friends at the WHO to the entire world to be the new gold standard for detecting infections. Yeah. The second lie that was important for this whole thing to go down is also his invention. He claimed that there are asymptomatic infections, meaning people who show no symptoms whatsoever, mm. which is normally you're healthy, yeah. uh, they can be infectious. That was important for him to make everyone in the entire world afraid of everyone, no matter how healthy they look. It's ridiculous. And it is totally ridiculous. Mm. It makes no sense because what are you gonna do? If, if you don't have any symptoms, are you really going to go see a doctor just because of what this idiot Drusen says? What are you going to do? Mm. You're going to go see a doctor. I have something. I, I, I don't know what it is, but can you help me? Please tell me what I'm suffering from. The first question the doctor is going to ask you is, what symptoms do you have? Right. None. No, but I mean, so, but, but medicine has gone back to the 1700s, Raina. I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Now you're sitting with now you're sitting with a f with 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 zo some sort of zombie apocalypse. You have to hold your breath when you walk past people in case, in yeah. case there's some sort of virus that's waiting to jump on you. It's ridiculous. Perfectly healthy people now are considered biohazards. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. the 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 good thing is that uh, in the meantime we have two decisions there are going to be more mm. but we have two decisions by courts of law that say that uh, these um, this Drusen test doesn't do uh, can, doesn't even come close to telling you anything about infections uh, the first decision is about uh, four five six months old I think it was a decision by a Portuguese appellate court uh, which held that uh, these uh, Drosten tests, these PCR tests, can't tell you anything about infections. It was about four German tourists, I think, who were quarantined because one of them tested positive. Um, and they uh, and the second decision is only two days old. We got it two days ago, I think, or maybe it was yesterday, uh, from a Vienna court. And it, again, holds very clearly that these tests cannot tell you anything about infections. Now, the big question is, how many more decisions do we need until the uh, class actions for damages are going to pick up real speed? They are pending, but there are going to be more such cases. And we are very optimistic right now because we can see all the mistakes that are being made by the other side that we are close to a tipping point uh, so that this whole thing, um, the, uh, the power structure will be completely different after we reach this um, tipping point and then we can, or the colleagues who are working on these uh, 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 class actions for damages, they're going to be able to concentrate on that. And th some of them, in particular in the, in the United States, have some pretty good ideas about mm. how, uh, how, they, how their different legal avenues to go after the pharmaceutical and the tech industry and maybe the financial industry as well. I know about the counter 
paper, the Corman Drosten review paper that was submitted to Eurosurveillance, I think, end of November last year. I think that's mm-hmm. been dismissed by Eurosurveillance. Uh, what does that mean, Rana? Um, it means that this Eurosurveillance paper is a complete fraud because this, what we call the retraction paper, it, uh, its authors include 22 internationally highly renowned scientists. And as it turns out, what they're writing about the Drusden-Corman or Corman-Drusden paper, uh, the PCR test protocol, um, is so devastating. Even I understand it. Uh, yeah. What they're saying is two things. Uh, the, it is completely unscientific. And the, the second thing is it looks as though it was done in such a sloppy way mm. on purpose for the sole purpose of producing as many false positives as possible all over the world so that their agenda which ends with the um, with the so-called vaccinations which of course we all know now it mm. doesn't have anything to do with vaccinations this yeah right quote unquote it's uh, what, what we're dealing with is genetic uh, experiments just quickly um i'll just summarize for those who don't know what we are referring to the common drosten review is basically this paper that came out um in november last year and please please interject if i've got it wrong reiner but uh 22 world-renowned scientists reviewed the paper that the who recommended at the beginning of 2020 which they i believe fraudulently uh, rushed through the peer review process uh, which recommended PCR. This paper shows, I think it is 10 major problems with the PCR test for COVID-19, basically basically saying that it's entirely useless. Um, and Absolutely. let's just not, let's not forget that Anthony Fauci himself said that uh, amplification cycles over, I think, I think he said over 28 or over 30 is junk science. 30. I think he said 30 or 35, yeah. Right, and that's junk science. And we're sitting with between 40 and 45 cycles. Yeah. Now, yeah. the question, I mean, the question I'm getting a lot now in the comments, Reiner, is everyone wants to, everybody actually wants to know where, where you're at legally. So, okay, so let's quickly get to that. <laughs> um, I'll try and make it as simple as possible because what we're doing is this is a multi-layered approach and it's also an international approach uh, because you have to keep in mind this whole thing the agenda which they're really pushing is mm. called um, the, great called reset. the great reset mm. and um, it, uh, it, uh, it it includes the entire world it's not just this country and that country it includes the entire world that's why they call what they're doing a lockstep approach everything is happening or supposedly happening in the very same way in the precisely same manner everywhere on this planet it doesn't quite work that way but they're trying to make us believe mm. that it does now keeping that in mind this makes things easier for us because the facts the lockdowns are all based on the same Drosden test, all of them, all of them, uh, because uh, his test was recommended by the WHO as the gold standard for the entire world, and all of the other PCR tests that I think there are about three or five hundred in the meantime, they all use his test as a blueprint. Mm. Of course, all of them know that these tests cannot tell you anything about infections, but they're all making a lot of money, so they, they don't care. I've spoken with mm. a couple of these uh, PCR test makers. Of course, they're not going to admit it in public, but at least behind closed doors, they admit it as much. So this means that the decision, the Portuguese decision that I just talked about, and the other one, the, the new one from Vienna, it can be used yeah. in any other court of, of law in this entire world as well. In any civilized um, uh, legal system, the facts are always the same. And yes. actually, the applicable law, it's almost the same as well, both in the common law system, which is most of Europe, I'm sorry, uh, which is the Anglo-American countries and in the Roman law system, uh, which is most of Europe, including Germany. 
but this is a big thing so it's gonna take years isn't it it's not months it's years it's in the end the cleanup will take years uh mm. we're hoping that this it's like an arm wrestling that's going on right mm. now that as i said we're reaching we're about to reach the tipping point i think uh, because there's so many mistakes that they're making because i don't think that the uh all these adverse uh reactions to the vaccines are part of the plan and that's because they uh they're they're trying to rush rush this thing through and i think what happened is they we have a whistleblower uh, who told us that the original game plan she was on was my show <laughs> could be Astrid. Uh, it's a she in this case it's a she and she told us that uh, the original plan was to uh, roll this out in 2050 but then those who uh, who are involved in this got greedy and and pulled things forward um, to 2030 and then to 2020 and that's why we think that that's why so many mistakes are happening because as I said they mm. did not really I don't think and we don't think they did not really intend these adverse re reactions uh, to happen and to warn even those people who are still sort of in line with the government oh but come on Reiner you're just a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist <laughs> Yeah. Well, the thing is, we have the evidence. I'm. This is. I. I know there's some people out there who um, who may not quite work with actual evidence. Well, it's different with us because we have been speaking to all these scientists and other people over a hundred in the meantime, and this is all. This is all replicable, and what's going to happen is it will be replicated because those very same people who testified before our Corona Investigative Committee can just as well testify before the courts of law, and they will. I've got a, co a question here in the comments asking, so where is this all going to happen? But I think you've kind of suggested that it's happening globally. It's not going to happen in one yeah. place. Yeah, it's happening globally, but in the end, it may very well turn out that we're going to have to have a special court because maybe, and there's a lot pointing in that direction, maybe the national courts will not really be able to deal with this because this is such a, this is on such a magnitude. It's so, it's so big that it is very possible that we're going to eventually need to have something like Nuremberg II. Mm. Okay, so Reiner, I mean, okay, it keeps coming up, right? So you say they. Who are who? Who is they, and who are the culprits, or some of them at least? Um, I what we're dealing with is probably point zero 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 something one percent of the population trying to uh, trying to uh, gain control over the rest of the world. Um, this is not about money because this group of people maybe 3000 um this group of people they're the super rich they have in terms of financial assistance they have much more than they need they're not going to need to buy a tenth or a third yacht mm. or uh the 20th maserati or whatever so this is not really about money it is about money because they're using money in order to bribe people in the hospitals the doctors uh politicians uh, they're also uh, using all kinds of sec uh, psychological techniques in order to uh, manipulate people or they threaten people, many politicians, some of them may be threatened, some of them may be getting bribed, but it's not really about money. They're using money as a tool. So what we think is, they're, um, what they're really up to is, you have to keep in mind that the very same people, we, a part of which we now call the Davos clique, you know, the self-appointed yeah. uh, political elite and the self-appointed uh, corporate elite. That is part of the people who we're dealing with. And those are the ones who are responsible for uh, the financial crisis some 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, had we been a little more careful, had we looked a little closer, we would have known that for 30 years, this group of people has been stealing the taxpayers' money all over the world. Um, uh, there are a couple of examples for, in Germany, for example, which which make it very very clear. But I'm going to spare you this. We should have been a lot more careful. And 
they were going to uh, they were going to blow up. Um, we think in twenty actually uh, the 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 first financial crisis would have been the perfect chance for us to catch on to what's going on. They managed to tell us that they have everything under control. They didn't, mm -hmm. but they started to print money in order to keep us quiet. We should have been, we should have known that you cannot print money in order to restore what they have stolen. It doesn't make any sense. Well, this time around in late uh, 2019, I believe, uh, when things were again coming to a head and things were again uh, about to implode, um, they came up with Corona as a di diversionary tactic. And we have to keep in mind, however, we're not dealing with a monolithic wall on the, no. other, on the no. other side. There, there's lots of infighting, there's uh, contradicting interests. And, uh, and that's another one, another one of our chances that we have. Catherine Austin Fitz, I think you might know her. She was on my podcast about a month yeah. ago and she said that in 2019, I think it was in August, um, at a G7 conference, a bunch of central bankers uh, agreed on basically the going direct reset, which is actually what this is all about. It's changing the global mm -hmm. economy. Um, and that, that confirms what you're saying. Because, um, I mean, you're talking about the economics now, and that's kind of uh, venturing into Catherine's territory, which, again, links to what you're saying. Um, the virus, she she says, is merely a distraction. Yeah, um, and Yeah, I mean, and that's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And she's a very smart woman. She was a, for a long time, she was a very successful investment banker. Uh, she was also an assistant secretary of housing and urban development. And I'm in the process of reading her book on uh, her um, her book on the end of currencies mm. that explains how uh, they're going to try and cut off the money supply and uh, instead use a um, use a digital currency, which then uh, only those people will be supplied with who do as they're told. Um, Huh? And oh wait, my wife needs the housekeeping. <laughs> okay, um, but you know, we spoke to another investment banker, another American investment banker, and she says the reason why Europe is at the center of all this. This is probably the most important battleground uh, uh, in this whole war, is because Europe is completely, definitely, totally broke. The um, ECB is totally broke because they bought all this, um, all these uh, bonds and and papers that are totally completely worthless. Mm. And what's even more important, uh, the pension funds—they're completely broke. Meaning, if people find out about this, that despite their uh, spending so much money on their uh, pensions, there's nothing left. That's all stolen. Mm. Then we're going to have a real problem. And that's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why they why they're trying to get Europe under control before people understand what's really going on. So I mean, you're you're fighting a series of battles. You're you're, you're fighting a legal battle, but you're also fighting a very moral battle, aren't you? I hope so. Uh, I I think this is all about moral and ethics. Uh, it doesn't really have much to do with the law. In fact, one of the people who we work with says, in a better world, which we probably will have once this is over, uh, we, won't, we won't even need laws anymore because people will understand because they all have a genetically a kind of a built-in sensor for what is right and what is wrong. All of the laws that we have now are one-size-fits-all laws. Um, what it all boils down to is that, and, and they're, they're, uh, these globalized laws in particular are made by people who are so far removed from the reality of people's lives in their different regions uh, that these laws are practically useless. They're using them in order to keep us under control. But in a better future, we will probably not need this because if people are educated enough, talking about moral competence again, mm. um, everybody will know what they can do and what they can't do. 
or people will in their respective regions agree on certain terms of how to live together. We won't need these globalized laws anymore. Yeah, so in other words, there's going to be a, a, a move sort of towards sovereignty again. Yes, and uh, back to the roots, so to speak. This mm. globalism is what got us here. Uh, we ended up with global, um, mm, what do you call them? What do you call the WHO, the um, World Economic Forum? These are private global organizations which have taken control over the entire world private organizations run by the super rich. I think this is, once people understand this, it's it's not going to be too hard uh, to turn the tables. But Reiner, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates are very good people. They love, they love the world. They just want, they just <laughs> want us all to have a better future. <laughs> yeah, they look it. They look the part, don't they? I mean, uh, back in the 1970s, I think, uh, when, um, what's his name, what's the president who almost got impeached and then stepped down? Richard Nixon. Um, the Democrats, when they were running against him, they ran a campaign ad which showed his picture. And it asked the question, would you buy a used car from this person? Well, would you buy a used car from Bill Gates or from Klaus Schwab? I don't think so. I mean, just look at them. These people cannot be trusted. No, I, I, I agree with you. May I read you one or two questions quickly from the comments? A little bit off, sure. off the flow of the conversation, but um, I get accused of ignoring my, my viewers. So let me just quickly throw some questions at you. Um, Hugo in Paris wants to know uh, if you are aware that Hill and Knowlton were appointed to run the WHO's PR campaign, the same company that was responsible for the babies in incubator testimony. Actually, um, I just have become aware of this uh, because our, today's hearing of the uh, uh, session of the Corona Committee included these um, uh, professors of psychology and one of them mentioned this but I'm not I don't know any details but we're going to look deeper into this another another question uh, I, I guess um, is something that a lot of people are asking is how can they get involved or how can they help is there any way the most important thing is to just spread the information spread the truth spread the facts to as many people as possible um, and don't waste your time on those people who are aggressively on the other side who really want to get vaccinated. I mean, it's tragic, but we will, we will not be able to save everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people will lose not just their livelihoods, but also their lives. We're, uh, we're, our hand is extended to them. So if they, if they change their minds, they're always welcome to come aboard. But those 10 or 20% of the population that I think we are in the meantime, maybe mm. more, maybe more people are beginning to ask questions, still wearing their masks not because they don't want to get into trouble. But uh, those 10 or 20% of the population were the ones who will turn the tables. And that's why we have to focus on uh, how, how, how can we do this best. And that's why we have to connect with each other. Uh, also on a this is surprising for me, but uh, I think it makes sense also on a spiritual level. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I can completely understand mm -hmm. that. There's something, there's something weird that this pandemic has done uh, to a lot yeah. of us around the world. Okay. I've got, a, I've got a, quick, a quick question from Brandon. He says, this is actually quite important, Rainer, actually. He says, what does it mean for us if you lose? Um, if, if we lose that'll be the end of humanity we believe i mean if we use it means we as human lose to digitalism and to completely stark raving mad people that's why we won't lose we cannot lose because we must win it sounds very optimistic and it sounds very utopian though but the reality is that we are rhino dealing with very difficult me media, very difficult governments, very uh, persistent rich people, and I have nothing against wealthy people. 
Um, but I'm talking about this elite few that, that you were talking about a moment ago. It seems like an incredibly difficult battle. I mean, just on a daily basis, never mind what, what you're dealing with, on a daily basis, I sit at my local coffee shop, family run, I try and support local um, and I see people walking around with masks on and when I walk out, I sometimes get people coming to me saying, please put on your mask. And they 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 don't seem to go beyond that thinking. It's just, it's that base level, blind loyalty, uh, lack of critical thinking that we're dealing with. I mean, it's it almost seems like it's an impossible battle ahead. Yeah, that's what they want us to believe. Uh, that's why they invested so much money and so much effort into the uh, mainstream media. Mm. Uh, but as far as I can tell, if I look at Germany, um, it's the reality is completely different from what they're trying to make us believe. Uh, whenever I, for example, um, need a cap in order to go someplace in Berlin or here in Göttingen or any other place, and I think I've, I've uh, spoken to at least 100 cab drivers, almost all of them, one exception, that was last weekend, almost all of them immediately uh, tell me that of course they know this is stupid the mask is not doing anything and they're not just doing this intuitively many of them are actually well informed because they're not watching uh, public television they're watching they're getting their information from the from the new from the independent alternative media the old media are pretty much dead um, the the exception to the rule was this one guy um, who uh, whose cab I got into this past weekend he was very skeptical his uh, I think his wife or his sister was working at a hospital and he said well people are dying well I rode in his cab in his cab for about a half a half an hour and he was still able he had moral competence he was able to discuss matters with me and to listen to me you know what at the end of the trip he said well I'm not com completely convinced but as, you know what, I have had some questions already and they're getting bigger now. So do you have a website where I can get more information? And that's a great start, I think. And that's the reality out there. It's not just the cab drivers. I think in Germany in the meantime, of course there's only maybe 20% of the people who really understand what's going on, um, who have all the facts, more or less all the facts. But there's another even larger group, maybe 30% of the people, so that adds, adds up to 50, maybe it's, maybe it's even 60%. And another even larger group that even though it's still sort of in line with the government is totally and completely sick and tired of all these measures. And they're wondering, is that all that they have got to offer us? One lockdown after another? They must yeah. be incompetent. So it's. I mean, what you're suggesting is that there's a silent majority. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can understand that. I. Mm. Um, I can understand how, for example, a doctor who works at a hospital, who has a family to support and a mortgage to pay, how even though they know what's going on, or maybe they don't quite know what's going on because most of them will probably try not to really know what's going on because if they did know what's if they had a if they had the full picture they probably wouldn't be able to continue with it but uh, I can see how they're afraid to lose their jobs if they really speak out about these matters but Reiner I mean I get emails like every single day because I'm constantly speaking about this and uh, um, you know it's I, I've said to people that I'll stop talking about it when life goes back to normal um, but how do you explain a surge in deaths in Brazil? Um, are you saying that people are not, are not dying? No, no, I'm not saying there's nothing out there. Uh, we all agree that there is something out there. We don't know if it's a virus. We don't know it's a, if, if it's a new virus. Um, there is some evidence that says this is probably just the common flu with a little bit more of, the, uh, of, a, of a maybe new corona strain in it. But nobody knows it because it's, it's still... Most people don't can't even agree if mm. the uh, virus, if it is a virus, has ever been um, isolated in a mm. scientifically scientifically correct manner. Um, no, that's not the point. Uh, just like with every flu season, people get sick, people get seriously sick, and some people die. 
And uh, what, but what happened in, in Italy, in Bergamo, for example, or in New York, is probably, this is the result of many of the doctors who we spoke with, uh, Italian doctors and people from New York, is probably more a result of uh, malpractice than it is a result of the flu or the coronavirus, if you want to call it that. But of course, none of us, we don't, we all agree there's something out there because if it weren't, then uh, people wouldn't get sick and people wouldn't die. But as it turns out, the infection fatality rate of whatever is going on is no higher than that of the yeah. common flu. Even the WHO says it's 0.14% and that's probably in line with the common flu. Even the newest study that I think was published a couple of days ago by John Ioannidis points to an infection fatality rate of 0.15%. Yeah. So that's still in line with the common flu. And let's just but remind there, everybody that John Ioannidis is not somebody you you take on. Uh, he, he knows his stuff. And um, and he's, he's the same professor who has also pointed out that about 50 or 60%, even more, um, of all peer-reviewed papers ever published are nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's his area of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rainer, uh, one of the big, the big problems now that we are facing um, is not even this virus anymore. It's now this, this mark of the beast, this vaccine passport. It's everywhere. It's now the driving force of everything. Life can only go back to normal if you can prove that you've been vaccinated. You cannot fly on an airplane. You cannot go to this mall. You cannot go to that venue. Um, this is a problem. A friend of mine might have to leave Qatar because he isn't vaccinated with this, with this COVID vaccine and his wife is... Um, I think is or is a local there. I can't remember the, the exact details. But in order for him to stay in Qatar because he's South African, he needs to be vaccinated or be separated from his family for a mild chest disease. Does this sound right? This is all wrong. And as I said, and as we all know now, this is not a vaccination. It's called a vaccine, but it isn't. The only reason why the European Union calls it a vaccine is because it's something that's being injected. It's another one of those uh, sleight of hand um, tricks, uh, just like they changed um, the WHO changed the definition of a pan pandemic mm. um, uh, for, uh, exactly for this purpose, in order to create a pandemic during the swine flu. Um, and here they changed the definition of what a vaccine is by saying of course it's a genetic experiment but since we're injecting it into people it's not a genetic yeah. experiment anymore it's a vaccine it's extremely dangerous i just um got a press release from professor bakti who's one of the main players uh in this he, he's a specialist um he was he was player. on my show so, so you know him he's a really yeah. smart man nice ma nice man too and uh, he and a, a bunch of other doctors just published a press release today and it deals with the side effects of these so-called vaccinations. Clotting and bleeding after vaccination uh, is the rule and there, there are uh, many people, not just a few, many people who die because of, let me see if I can find it, well, because of this, uh, because of the clotting, um, they suffer strokes and aneurysms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but he's he's detailing this, even though this is just I'm going to mail it to you. This is mm. just a short press release, but it tells you that there's a huge fight going on, in particular here in Europe, also in the United States, about whether or not they can make this mandatory. At this point, they can't because in the United States, these vaccines have only an emergency use authorization, and you cannot make emergency use authorized drugs mandatory. That's impossible. Mm. Same with the PCR test, by the way. Here in, in Europe, it's uh, basically the same. But of course, they're trying to move quickly ahead um, in order to push through this, uh, this green pass, I think is what, what they call it. 
Um, even if they're successful with that, which there are doubts about because the power structure is changing right now. But even if they're successful, that's not the end of the story. We're going to keep on fighting. I mean, I, I've never had a PCR test. I don't know if you've, if you've had. I did get sick last year. My wife also got sick. We both decided we were not going to go for the PCR because the moment you cough or you sneeze, everybody looks at you funny and and yeah. uh, you are almost required to go for this PCR test, which of course is not medical science. In the For all my life, Ryan, a, a doctor would, would look at me if I was sick and go, well, let me tell you what I've studied. Here's what I think is wrong with you, and I'm going to give you this medication. Uh, now suddenly you don't even need to be sick. You need to get a test, something stuck up your nose. Um, yeah. And uh, as we saw, the Canadian Prime Minister suddenly says that you have to be quarantined in your home if you test negative, which of course doesn't mean anything. And if you test positive, you have to immediately go to a government facility. This is not about health, and it's so scary. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, but um, that makes it even more important for us for this relatively small group of people, well, maybe if it's 20% of the world's population, that's, that's a large group of people, makes it even more important for us to keep fighting and to turn the tables. We will be able to turn the tables. Because as I said, there's only 0. .000 something, 1% of the population trying to gain control over all of us. We are, if it is 10%, we're the best ones. I, I don't want to be I don't uh, want to sound arrogant in any way, but I think this is true. And uh, the rest of the people, those who are falling in line, those who even want to get vaccinated, as I said earlier, it's tragic, but there's nothing much we can do about them. They mm -hmm. do not really play a role. Uh, it's tragic, but um, we cannot save everyone. They don't right. play a role for the other side at all. You know, yeah. the only... The only role they play for them is that of cannon fodder or guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. Sure. Okay, Rainer, um, let's let's quickly give a little bit of of positivity, a little bit of hope uh, for the people watching. Uh, lots of questions coming through. Uh, what can you recommend? What do you suggest people do? Um, I mean, let's let's be pragmatic here for a second. What can people do to change things? Uh, the most important thing, as I said, is to get as much information as possible, to spread it as far as possible, and that I think that's only possible if as many people uh, as possible connect worldwide, because that gives a certain strength which goes far beyond that of the um, ability to exchange information. I think this is, even though it may sound stupid, this is strength on a very spiritual level. And, and uh, I'm saying this mm. um, a, day, a couple of days before Easter, so maybe it makes even more sense. I'm not a religious person, but I have become to believe, I have come to believe that um, there is more um, there are different levels of, of um, awareness uh, beyond the rational stuff. Yeah. Um, I, we, I just spoke to a friend who, an American, whose um, son never got vaccinated, which is totally, completely unheard of in the United States because they get dozens of vaccinations. Uh, they're the most vaccinated people in the world. Um, and she says, and, and there are other people in her family who made sure that their kids didn't get vaccinated either. And she says, my child, he's 18 years old now, my child has certain sensibilities which most other people don't have. And even if I see him in a group of people, he seems different. Uh, it's, uh, there's, it's almost as though there's a light shining. So what I'm trying to tell you is there is a level of cooperation which goes beyond the rational idea of cooperation and this is has to do with uh, spirituality and i think that's why it's so important to connect worldwide. yeah i agree with you it's 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 bizarre but it it absolutely has become like that um a few nights ago astrid stuckelberger who i know you know uh, fairly well she was on my podcast and extremely popular 
Um, mm-hmm. In fact, we went on for 90 minutes. It was such a good conversation. I asked her what I'm about to ask you. There's a crystal ball in front of you, Rana. What do you see? I, I see a much better world at the end of this tunnel. There is a light at the end of this tunnel, and that's a much better world because most of the things that we have come used to, the, our way of life, is very destructive, both on a personal level and on a global level. Uh, there's too much injustice and uh, there's too many people trying to take advantage of other people. That mm. will change. That's the light at the end of the tunnel I can see. It probably also has to do with um, my legal hero. Um, his name, he's, he's a former Supreme Court Justice of the United, Supreme, uh, United States Supreme Court. Uh, his name is Louis uh, Brandeis. A uh, hundred years ago, he took on two monstrous large uh, industries, the financial industry and the um, oil industry. And he said, because they were trying to cover everything up, and he said, sunlight is the best of disinfectants. And that is still true today. So the light at the end of the tunnel is the sunlight that we need in order to see what's going on and change things for the better. Yo, that's actually, it's a really, really deep comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Only because you're having a glass of whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then in that case, I drink a lot of whiskey. (laughs) Um, Rainer, look, it's a great pleasure having you on. I I can see how this this pandemic, inverted commas, pandemic, because I don't believe it's a real pandemic for what that's worth. Um, I I see there is a silver lining. Um, it's connected people around the world in a way that I previously wouldn't have imagined. Uh, so there is something special about it. Um, it comes obviously at a great expense um, and by no, by no design of, of, I guess, our own. I am going to certainly... Uh, tell people more well I do already do tell people to try and fight the good fight which is exactly what you're doing Um, something as pragmatic tell me if you agree um, by being proactive with with not wearing a mask instead of instead of sorry I bumped my microphone Um, instead of putting on the mask before someone says something don't wear it imagine if you got out of your car at a shopping mall and nobody was wearing a mask and you just all go in. At the moment when I go to a shopping mall, everybody is wearing their mask outside in the sunshine. They're doing it from their car already. That's a reactive response. They should be proactively not wearing their mask. Would you agree with that? Something as small as that. Absolutely. That is what gains you respect. Not if you're docile. You they they respect you if you stand up for your principles if you stand up for yourself and if you do not do as as you're told they don't respect you if you are just one of the huge herd of sheep yeah and i mean look and i've said this a few times you've got to choose your battles um it's 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 gradual isn't it i mean if i want to move between cities on an airplane i literally cannot unless i drive in a car uh, the, the the airplane simply won't let you on, but but that's a fight that you know that can happen gradually. The the smaller fights that you, you know you have to chip away, don't you? Yeah, you cannot uh, eat the whole elephant. You have to take it in little bites, and that will that'll work. It's been working already. Mm. There has been progress. You have to look at the bright side. There has been progress because more and more people are beginning to wonder. That in itself is progress. Uh, we're winning some of the court battles. We will, men- we will win many more. Uh, many people are connected with each other, as you said, who would, uh, n- who would never have believed. I wouldn't have believed that I would be speaking to you, for example, yeah. and that I would be having fun speaking to you. Yeah. Um, some of the people, some of the lawyers who we work with are just great people. Not those idiot lawyers uh, who you wish uh, didn't exist, but really good people who are not in it for the money, but who are in it for the cause. And so many other people from all walks of life, uh, which 
and it tells me that I've wasted my time when, for example, I went to uh, dinner parties, uh, small talking all the time. Right. That was a waste of time. I'm never ever going to do that again. And maybe one day history will look back on us fondly. I think so. Absolutely. On us. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I just want to just remind you, Reiner, um, please do uh, make contact with uh, one of our heroes here in South Africa, Reino De Beer from the Liberty Fighters Network. I did put you in contact with him. He is doing very much what you're doing, um, but on a South African scale. And, um, and I think we need more people like him uh, connected with people like you. Um, I'm sure there are many of them around the world. And I really do hope that bit by bit we're going to win. We're going to win this, this, this particular war. Um, you have to come back in a few months for an update again. Yeah, things will have moved at lightning speed by then in <laughs> our direction. <laughs> Rainer, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the last bit of your evening. Um, and I will get in touch with you over mail. Thank you very much. Take care. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.